What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, sorry, it is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. First show of the year, and we are back for the 2023 MMA Daily Award Show. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Happy New Year, Double G. How you been? How was uh, day one of 2024? I mean, I just thought about it reading off that show. That's a lot of different numbers, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, oh, shoot, you know? Get into the habit now. You don't want to be the guy in May still writing 23. So, I'm not, you know, it's, it was good. Went to work. It was chill. Everybody, everybody very clearly enjoying three-day weekend, you know? Yeah. If, uh-huh. if if it's on Sunday, everyone's already back on the grind Monday. But you could tell everyone was everyone was moving slowly. Everyone was not trying to do too much. It was fine. What about you? Yeah, the streets were wide open and uh, very calm. We have uh, you know the rose parade down here in uh, Pasadena, and um, got to see the B two bomber flying in the sky. So that oh, was pretty beautiful. cool, man. Yeah, it's a very cool plane. Oh, yeah. They tested around where I grew up. So, like, you'd be in elementary school at recess and, like, just randomly every now and then a B2, a B2 bomber would fly by. And it's like, whoa. Dude, are you serious? Oh, yeah. That's it, awesome. it, They don't as much anymore. They got all the kinks out. But, yeah, when I was younger, you'd see it. And it's like, <gasps> you know, oh, wow. imagine being in elementary school looking up and seeing that thing. You know what I mean? Dude, that's crazy. That's super cool. Yeah, it's like the coolest thing you'll ever see in the sky. Oh, yeah. It's a treat for sure. Yeah, but um, no, so I hope everybody had a great holiday. I hope everybody safe and got the time you wanted to spend with the people you want to spend it with. Um, I hope you got to watch that MMA you've been, you know, putting off because you didn't have time because of work. So I hope you got to enjoy all of those things. I would love to tell you we're going to go right into the awards because we have a lot of them. But Dana White decided, you know, rest is for the week. And I believe we have close to a dozen fights, more or less. Um, so let's start with the big one. Since we've been gone, Conor McGregor takes to social media to say he is going to be back on June 29th, International Fight Week. It is Michael Chandler. However, he, and maybe this is the most uh, controversial point, he says they're doing the fight at middleweight, 185 pounds. What was your reaction? That's so stupid. That was my reaction. Great that that they have a date. That's awesome. It only took a year, but okay. Disappointed. It's not UFC 300, but um, I'm guessing he wanted to headline and they didn't want to. That's the only reason I could think of why they wouldn't give it to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the 185 thing. It seems ridiculous. Like even for lightweight, McGregor and Chandler are on the short side. And so for him to say, let's fight, not at welterweight, but at uh, middleweight, it seems cuckoo. If they can, that's probably their walk around weight, I'm guessing. Um, but do I believe it or not? If he hadn't have done that cackle at the end, I might have believed it. Now I'm not so sure. What do you think? Is it true? Middleweight, I won't believe that until Michael Chandler puts it out there that he signed the agreement for middleweight. I think that, um, one, I think all of this is very preliminary. I think that welterweight, catchweight, even lightweight may still be on the table, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah, when he started cackling, I thought he was playing more mind games. I think he gave you the meat and potatoes, and now he's just trying to mess with Chandler with the gravy. So, 
Yeah, I'll believe middleweight when Michael Chandler says he's officially signed paperwork for middleweight. Um, on the 300 thing, the way I feel about it, I know all the fans wanted it. It's the biggest star in UFC history, in MMA history. Um, big fight, long anticipated. It felt like all the pieces just lined up for that yeah. good synergy for such a seminal event. Here's... Uh, and. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. I'm not going to make 24 the year of saying it over and over again. If you put Chan- sorry, if you put Connor at UFC 300, it's a successful pay per view. It, it's it is a single successful pay per view. If you put Connor on hypothetically, I know this isn't going to be the number. If you put Connor McGregor on UFC 301, and you just stack 300 the way you already planned for the undercard you will have most likely two successful pay-per-views. Yeah. And so UFC, while they are very aware and probably even had their own emotion and nostalgia for 300 being the single biggest blockbuster, big picture, they still have roughly 13, 14 pay-per-views to sell in 2024. It is easier to have 14 successful pay-per-views if you split Connor off of 300. Now... Do I like that long layoff when, according to Ariel Helwani, he was ready to go? No. Do I like that layoff for Michael Chandler, who, having no injury, has had almost nearly as long as a layoff since he last fought as Connor? No. But business-wise, I get it. If I'm running the UFC office, I can understand how that conversation was had. As a fan who likes all of that emotion and nostalgia and i watch it so much so i want it to feel special in a certain way yeah i can imagine a slight tinge of disappointment which is going to lead me to my next point um what do you think of this rumor leon edwards Bilal muhammad at ufc 300 i mean that's that's fine i'll take that that would be a fine fight on any card um i'm glad Bilal's getting his shot potentially um, but yeah, that, that's, that's a great fight. I mean, look, the thing with Leon is you got to just keep the conveyor belt rolling. So I'm good with that. So, uh, objectively, yes, I, I like the fight. Leon, obviously, you know, look, he's on a lot of end of the year lists for his run in 2023. I like the meritocracy kind of winning out for a guy like Bilal, who's put in so many years and performances and work. That it's like, hey, you know, you've earned the shot to at least get a crack at it um, over some of the guys behind you who probably are making more noise. My one thing about this, when I think about 300, and we have a great example in 200, you know, at first we were told Conor McGregor, UFC 200, and then John Jones, Daniel Cormier, UFC 200. Right. You got neither of them. (laughs) <laughs> and the card was still very successful. You look at the card, it still stacks up and holds up in today's game. But when you look back at it, like the fact is that card was outsold by, I believe, all three Conor McGregor fights Yeah. that year in 2016. And I think that that's evidence. I will say critically, this wasn't anything the UFC could change. The night was remembered. The main card very slow. Kane popped off, and then you had a lot of decisions. Uh, the Brock Lesnar, Mark Hunt fight slowed down. DC Anderson Silva slowed down, 
and then Amanda Nunes gets it done in one minute, and and that's a wrap. And it's like that's it for the seminal event. Um, so I, I know the night of it wasn't always remembered as the most rousing event, you know, despite their all the talent that you had available. And so my thing about Leon and Bilal, it's a great fight objectively. Right. I think there's something to be said for having a superstar at UFC 300. I think that the fans react differently. I think the public that doesn't watch normal UFC events reacts differently. Um, I'll use this example. Uh, Taylor Swift does the same concert now for the last 60-something shows. And fans are still live streaming it like it's a new ball game, a new episode every time. Because that's a superstar. Right. People who never watch Fortnite on Twitch are tuning in to watch Eminem do a concert on the platform. Why? Because that's a superstar. I think there's something to be said. I'll go back, final note, John Jones earlier last year. When I tell you the fans, it, it was a different vibe. Fans were there for John. Yeah. Fans cared about John. The show began and ended with whether or not John Jones performs and wins. And he delivered for them. And it was very clear. You know, everyone and their mom. We had uh, Shavkat. We had Valentina and Alexa. At the end of the day, you know, everyone is like, people did not feel like they had gotten their money's worth yet until they saw John Jones. And he delivered. That's the effect a superstar has on an event. And so for UFC 300, seminal. I can imagine the fan frustration if you feel you don't have a um, Connor or a John. Plain and simple. Um, do you have anything more to add on the Connor well, McGregor? Yeah, <clears throat> just, of course, still disappointed that he didn't get 300. I don't like that they didn't get it done. I feel like, yeah, you need <clears throat> your biggest star or a special star for a really significant event. Now, of course, we don't know yet what this roster, well, this lineup's going to be, but it should have had him for sure. And I'm, now I'm thinking, like, if it's not McGregor or Jones as your marquee superstar for the marquee super event, who is going to be the number one? Or is it just going to be a you know a collection of super fights? Or, like, you know, Leon... If it's going to be Leon Bilal, that's certainly not a super fight by any means, right? It's just a regular welterweight fight. They had an opportunity there to do something super with Leon. Seems like they might not do it. So I'm just thinking generally, if you're not getting McGregor in there when he's ready and he's not getting any younger and he's going to have ring rust and do you want McGregor? Do you, like <clears throat> The sooner you get him in the cage, the sooner he's going to... Like, the better for everybody, right? The longer you wait, the more you risk injury or just looking less good in the cage. So you threw that out the window. So who's who you got to make this card juicy? That's that's where my head is now. I mean, I've seen the rumor that Chelsonen said Islam Mahachev and Justin Gaethje will also make it on there. I'd like to point out, Islam also tweeted this, um, either fight in March before Ramadan or fight after. Um Essentially, I believe, more or less, uh, Ramadan ends within two weeks of 300. So, look, Bilal Muhammad did it. That being yeah. said, it is not preferable, I think, if you're a practicing uh, Muslim to train during, three, you know, Ramadan. Right. Um, and I'd point that out. Islam, champion, 
long win streak, he's kind of earned the right to say, I want more of the circumstances in my favor for a fight. So, uh, you know, asterisk on the potential of Islam versus Gaethje at 300. Um, still very possible. Still would be a great fight. Yeah. Um, as a doubleheader, that kind of helps the cause. I'd like to throw this out there. If you ask me who are the top three stars in UFC, like, today. Right. Conor McGregor, John Jones. Obviously, Conor's now moved off the card. John Jones is still hurt. I would argue Israel Adesanya. Israel, yeah. And I could see... I know Chael, for example, has thrown out the possibility turn around Dracus and Sean for April. You know, whoever wins. And it's a great storyline, for sure, whichever. I could also see <laughs> Hamza Chimaev getting the call. And Israel Hamza. I think that would be a great fight. That is a UFC 300 kind of fight. And then, so if you tell me you got at least Adesanya Hamza, and then let's say they add Wei Li versus Yan Shanan to 300. Okay, I'm a little happier with that as a three pack for this event. But you need Adesanya if you're not going with, Con- if you don't have Connor or John, in my opinion, for the fans. They could obviously just stack it and let's just ride, and that's very possible. But in my mind, that's how they do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's gotta, uh, it's gotta be Izzy or, or yeah, you're right. Who's next? And then it's just another big pay per view card, but it's not 300 worthy, right? It's already lost a little bit of its luster because Jones not available. Connor passed, uh, <clears throat> passed over for a later date. So I'm not like gonna be bummed out about it in advance but it's not looking already on paper to be as epic as it seemed you know even last year (laughs) yeah fair enough fair enough i mean look we did get a ton of announcements so let's uh you know what i'll start with the pre-ufc 300 ones first one ian gary versus jeff neal it's being moved about a month up from UFC 299 in March in Miami to UFC 298 on February 17th in Anaheim. On that same card, you also have Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa. Um, Natalie, that is now shaped up to be quite the event because you obviously have Volkanovski and Ilya. They announced Marab versus Henry Cejudo. You've got Ian Gary now. You've got Whitaker now. You've got Tatiana Suarez on the card. You've got Taito Ivasa on that card. 298 here in SoCal, personally, that is a pretty solid card. And I would argue UFC 299 in Miami, while it did lose a big fight, that's still a pretty sick card too. So this is definitely a great back-to-back leading up to 300. What are your thoughts on that announcement? Uh, yeah, that's a killer lineup for, for UFC 298. Like, really, really strong. So very excited about that, for sure. Like, Cejudo, like you have, you know... Future Hall of Famers, uh, new up-and-comers on the hype train. This is a big one. I'd also like to point out, um, I think it's actually better for Ian Gary, you know, with all the talk that was leading up to last month's pay-per-view, to fight sooner rather than later. I think you still cash in on some of that noise. And then, uh, yeah, Whitaker and Costa. I mean, I'm just glad to see Whitaker back. And obviously Costa, after losing the Hamzat fight, you know, you kind of want to get back on the horse as soon as possible, get your name back in the conversation. So it works. Like you said, the lineup, it's great. Uh, Good card. 
Um, some of the other stuff, Yair Rodriguez taking on Brian Ortega in Mexico City. How about this one? It's going to be a five-round co-main event. They're going to give the main slot to Brandon Moreno, Amir Albazi. Um, to be honest, I just think that was the right move. I think when you talk about the layoff for Ortega um, and just all the emotion and I think the activity for Moreno, obviously the history is champion. I just felt like Moreno earned that headliner spot in Mexico City. I get what you meant from a more exciting fight. I think it's good that it's a five-rounder. You got the best of both worlds, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, this has been smoothed out for me. You know, Moreno against anybody in in Mexico City is going to be amazing. But you add Rodriguez versus Ortega, that's a killer fight. Neither neither one of these guys is going to back down. Curious what Ortega is going to look like. It's been... You know, like infrequent appearances in the cage with losses, big losses, big beatdowns. So also, it's been like a year plus since the injury with Yair. <clears throat> yeah. So it's oh yeah. So yeah, this should be this should be great. But they're gonna be like chomping at the bit, dude, to put on a show in Mexico. This probably will be a fight of the year candidate. You know, Rodriguez Ortega. They're just gonna stand there and punch each other in the face. I'd also point out that um, in particular, okay, you have to see the fight play out, but this is huge. In the event that Ilya were to upset Volkanovski, neither Yair or Brian has fought Ilya. So having a five-rounder the week after puts the winner on a great timetable. You know what I mean? So particularly also Ilya just beat Josh Emmett. So it's like, okay, everything, the ducks are lined up. If Volkanovski wins... I mean, that's another conversation for another day, but we're probably thinking, all right, do we revisit lightweight, not a title fight, things like that. You know what I mean? But yeah. that's a that's a podcast for another week. <laughs> um, March 30th, Atlantic City, Erin Blanchfield gets her wish. She gets the main event. She takes on Manon Fior. Essentially, you know, 1A and 1B for who should get the next title shot at flyweight. Um, I just like home game for Erin. I just think it's happening at a great time. I hope, I'll say this right now, my hope is at the very least Alexa Valentina around Cinco de Mayo. That is going to be my hope if the UFC runs that weekend. I'm not saying T-Mobile Arena, you know, like pay-per-view. But if there is a card on Cinco de Mayo weekend, Alexa and Valentina, that's not the craziest um, you know, one month difference for the winners to line up and fight. That's my hope. Yeah, that would be like ridiculously awesome. That's a rivalry that's, you know, like a potential four fighter, you know, like a Moreno and a Figueredo or Pacquiao and I can't remember saying Marquez. Like yeah. they're, they're, this is, this is on deck to become one of those. So if they were to secure that, that date that would be that would be killer yeah and like i said you know this is at the end of march if you put alexa valentina around cinco de mayo that's just about one month things could work out beautifully natalie that's all i want um and let's talk about ufc 300 dana threw some of those out there um one of the bigger names ben former bantamweight champion aljamain sterling moving up to take on calvin cater a featherweight like that fight there's also the return of Bo Nickel taking on Cody Brundage. 
and former light heavyweight champion Yuri Prohashka taking on the returning Alexander Rokic, who you'll remember had a knee injury late in 21. He's back. Um, you know what? Objectively, as three fights, I just like them. That is a UFC 300 undercard type of matchup. Bo Nickel, obviously a lot of noise. The resume of Aljo, the style of Calvin Catered, obviously accomplished himself. Rockage and Jiri, that's a big fight for the light heavyweight division. So it's like, oh, you get those three fights in April? Sign me up. I love it. What about you? Uh, yeah, for sure. Sign me up. My favorite one and beautiful matchmaking, Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling. Like, Calvin Cater has a chance here to really make, get a you know get back on a, a little bit higher ground with a win over Aljo. But it's good matchmaking for Aljo to test out that featherweight body against someone who's a name, but you know, not out there to not a not like finishing people left and right, not doing some like um, Islam Khabib kind of you know thing to to people. And so this is a great a great great matchup, man. This is perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great litmus test for Aljamain. You're not throwing him in there with. Um... You know, like a Max Holloway. Although I would have pretty... Uh, I'll tell you right now, I would have loved that fight. I almost that felt like it... That too, actually. <laughs> I felt like it made sense with where do you go with Max. But, you know, I think if an Aljo, like, beats a Cater, you can make a case for a fight with the Max Holloways of the division or, you know, the outlier with Yair and Brian, you know? I think then you could do that. But, yeah, that's a good litmus test for Calvin stylistically i like rockic and jiri i mean you look at how rockic was performing against blahovic in the last fight you know what jiri brings to the table that's that's a banger um bone nickel kind of speaks for itself i mean you know top prospect in mma arguably right now how does he do um i think it's just good so i'm glad for what we've gotten in the first couple weeks uh, or Last couple weeks of 23, now first couple days of 24. We have a lot to look forward to on the horizon. Oh, yeah. And now it is time for the MMA Daily 2023. I keep messing this up. (laughs) 2023 award show for MMA Daily. Um, Sit back, relax, grab your coffee, grab your popcorn, turn up the volume if you're watching or listening in your car, and let's get into it. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to start from the bottom up, yeah? Yeah, sure. All right. Most WTF story of the year. So some things, you know, they're very breaking news and they're like, oh, my gosh, the business has changed. And then every now and then some things happen. I don't want to say just like uh, hypothetically, and I hate to, you know, throw salt in the wound, but Bryce Mitchell and the power drill. Like that's (laughs) a that was a WTF story. But I, you know, I, I mean, like, okay, more. Not just like an incident on Instagram, but something that actually lasted a little longer. So that's my criteria for WTF. Uh, Natalie, ladies first, what was your WTF story of the year? Yeah, it was uh, USADA throwing UFC under the bus um, and Conor McGregor, uh, making it seem like it was USADA's decision to leave the UFC because they didn't like what was being expected of them as far as Conor McGregor's return was concerned. Super strange the way they handled this. UFC comes right back swinging with that press conference, basically um, shutting USADA down. 
and putting an end to that rumor. But it was so bizarre the way it happened. Um, not that they owe Conor McGregor an apology or anything, but it was kind of dirty, man. I, I, I didn't like the way they handled it. It's an organization that we expect some a lot of professionalism from, and it was quite, quite WTF. Uh, you know, UFC now coming out with their new anti-doping strategy and whatnot, but for me, this one was a left, a curveball, uh, you know, coming from the last least expected entity in USADA. Yeah, I think that, um, look, obviously they've been, UFC made USADA and USADA brought a level of legitimacy to the UFC. So to have the public breakup happen the way it did, it was very much um, a little jarring. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I know that they released the new um, uh, anti-doping, like uh, just rule set and all that. Probably the biggest one is uh, the use of cannabis is, uh, you know, now more relaxed. So I know a lot of fighters, you know, who use it to relax, recover and everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is a huge one that I know got some people that people felt shouldn't have uh, continued at a certain era of USADA. Right. Um, but yeah, in terms of the breakup, I think that, um, you know, it, it just, both sides didn't come out looking good on that. Obviously there was a lot of questions. What does UFC do now going forward? Um, for USADA, you kind of like, this is your how many years long partner? Yeah. And you did that on the way out. That doesn't bode well, I, I think for the next thing, but, um. Yeah, UFC has responded, and I think that's probably the biggest thing. And then USADA, obviously, where they go from here, I don't know. Remember, the PFL is going to be using USADA going forward. So it's like, all right, but um, for sure, very WTF. I'm with you there. Yep. Mine personally, the return of Dylan Dennis, after years of bugging Scott Coker about it in many scrums, Dylan Dennis comes back. At Misfits Boxing to take on this um, pro wrestler and former and I guess still current boxer Logan Paul. Um, so okay, one from a business standpoint, I'm just glad that uh, the head of Misfits, Mams Taylor, confirmed that yes, we did send Scott Coker a check to take Dylan Dennis. Because wow. I know Scott Coker was probably like, I don't want to talk about this boy anymore. <laughs> you pay me money because we've been trying to get him to fight for us for the last, you know, blah, 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 blah. You get what I mean? Yeah. Scott Coker, very diplomatic. I already, I miss him already kind of deal. You know what I mean? But yeah, so you have the business side of it. And then Dylan Dennis with a relentless, you know, just string of uh, uh yeah i'll call it harassment of logan paul's fiance i believe they're married already um nina agdal um former sports illustrated swimsuit model still current model and everything else and a big name on in you know social media yeah and yeah it, it just was cringe it reached it, it levels of it, it it literally elicited discomfort and I think people watching just for the sheer volume that Dylan Dennis was putting out there to the point that, you know, it became a thing like is legal action being taken? Is he going too far? Um, I think that he actually operated very 
uh, I'll, I'll be honest, he was just a nuisance to the max for about 95% of the um, the build-up. He essentially, all he did was repost pictures that were already out there. He just did it at a volume that made people a little uncomfortable. It's when he got his hands on private media that he shouldn't have been able to get his hands on that things were crossed and action, you know, things essentially uh, changed. And Logan Paul said, you know, he apologized to his wife and said he never should have kept the fight with Dylan after everything that happened. Um, yeah, and just it plays out with a not so exciting fight. Dylan never had anything for the size and speed and power of Logan. And so after all that, you have a lackluster fight after all that. That was very WTF to me. Yeah, it certainly was because of all that that you pointed out. And then the fight amounts to just strange, non-competitive nonsense. And what is the world to do with Dylan Dennis? I don't know. It's, you know, I think this was the last hurrah, the last big payday he'll get. Last big bit of attention he'll get. And maybe he knew that and that's why he was just throwing it all in the fire there. Dumpster fire. Super strange. I'm glad it's in the past. You know, he seemed so promising when he appeared in the camp of Conor McGregor. And it felt like there was going to be, you know, a spinoff from the McGregor trajectory. But it just sort of fizzled out and turned weird. And... Again, this is this is the culmination of it, and I, I suspect, I suspect he's going to have trouble making another deal to fight in combat sports on his feet. You know, in jujitsu, I don't know, but I assume he's still successful. But I actually don't know. You can tell me, uh, but I, I doubt anyone's going to pay him money to fight in a cage or a ring. I mean, I think there's there's a place for him somewhere. I just don't know that it's where he thinks. I for example, could PFL, you know, make him an offer and he would boost an undercard? Absolutely. I don't know that the UFC sees in him what they see in Michael Venom Page, for example. So I don't know that, you know, I I don't know that the UFC would look at a Dylan Dennis and say, "Yeah, we're going to pay you what you got for Logan Paul or what you would have gotten had you stayed in Bellator. I just don't think they see that. I think they see a um now not as still young, but not as young as when he first burst onto the scene in Bellator with the Connor stuff. And they see a guy who's, you know, had a lackluster fight, been inactive, been injured, only has a couple MMA fights to his resume. I think Bo Nickel has more MMA fights, Natalie. Think about that. So yeah, that's crazy. I, I I think that there's you know is there a place for him? Yes. Do I think it's one of the sexier places in the landscape? I'm not so sure about that. And you know, he's got to show a promotion he's active. No one wants to make an investment, do all this, and then the guy just doesn't show up. So I think that's another thing. I think he now has something to prove to the non-influencer places of the world if he wants to fight in MMA so yeah I think that's where he's at now um yeah what happens I mean maybe we'll find out this year you know it is only the second there's a lot of time for it to happen <laughs> I mean maybe he'll maybe he'll be on Connor's uh, in Connor's corner Who wouldn't knows? that be something <laughs> oh my gosh 
Hey, Michael Chandler wins and jumps out the cage at him. Oh, oh uh, let gosh. me tell you something. That'd be beautiful. Great synergy right there. Um, the news story of the year, the UFC and Francis Ngannou, to me, parting ways. I feel like it bega- began and ended in that way. Yeah. Um, you know what? Okay, so, I mean, we talked about it a lot, but you have a reigning UFC champion leave the promotion. Has the belt defended the title, knocked uh, knocked out almost every other former UFC champion that fought at the same time. Kane, yeah. JDS, Stipe, knocked out, knocked out contenders like Jarzinho, out-wrestled Cyril Gunn. Um, and the UFC cannot come to terms with this guy. And, you know, uh, in case you're living under a rock, Francis Ngannou shortly thereafter signs with the PFL, Signs a massive, not just fight contract, essentially like a multi-level ambassador deal. He's going to be part of the board for the U- sorry for the PFL's expansion into Africa. He has a great pay on his fighter contract. He has a minimum for his opponents, um, and not for nothing, he has the flexibility to box, which he obviously exercised to the max. And I know you're going to touch on it, so I'll just sum it up real quick. But um, Francis Ngannou, when he left, there was a lot of optimism that he could get a fight with a Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury. And then for a minute, it didn't look like it would happen. It looked like Tyson Fury was focused on Usyk. And if it wasn't Usyk, it was somebody else. And suddenly, they just stopped talking about Francis Ngannou. And he signed the PFL deal, and it was like, well, he won. Even if he loses his next, his first PFL fight and his second PFL fight, he signed for the money. He got yeah, the bag. He won. The bag, right? Rule yeah. number one, secure the bag. The universe and all the fallout of the deals that couldn't get done for Tyson Fury with the other boxers led to Tyson Fury coming back around again, finding Francis Ngannou as the opponent. It becomes that huge event in Dubai and then, and this will lead into yours, obviously was a seminal moment for Francis Ngannou. He, essentially the universe paid off for him probably better than we could have imagined when the year started. And I will say this, if there's one thing that does suck about the whole thing, we never got Jones versus Ngannou. It's going to be one of the great what-ifs of the universe of MMA, just is what it is, but when you talk about all the things you're supposed to do for Francis Ngannou, secure the bag. Just make an impact. He did that tenfold. I would argue it was the year of Francis Ngannou with only one appearance and it was a loss. It was the year of Francis. I think he, maybe not completely 100% today, but he was the one who changed the business. He, his actions, his leaving, changed the conversation. And that makes him the new story of the year to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He is the, the, the man of the year for sure. News story of the year. The the parting ways with the UFC, you know, believing in himself, sticking to his guns, leaving the biggest combat sports organization, and taking a really big chance. <clears throat> and then doing it again, because, you know, it makes sense for the PFL to sign him, right? Of course, that's a huge get. And if you want to sign him, you kind of got to give him whatever he wants. So that's it makes sense that he was able to negotiate these um, carve-outs for boxing and this opportunity for 
uh, UFC or sorry, PFL Africa. But then to actually secure the fight with Tyson Fury to get in there and be the first MMA guy to not get blown out of the water by a boxer. <clears throat> and not only that, knockdown against Tyson Fury and looks actually good as a boxer. Performed extremely well. Better than we expected, but almost, you know, I would say as good as someone, if not better, boxing skills than Deontay Wilder. And he has the heavyweight uh, punching knockout power. So for me, this was his his victory, a moral victory, I should say, over Tyson Fury was the best combat sports uh, news story of the year for me because have we not been waiting for someone in MMA to, to do well in boxing, first of all, but then for it to have happened this way with leaving the UFC, pissing off the UFC, signing this mega deal with PFL, going up against the best heavyweight, linear heavyweight champion in Tyson Fury, and looking like he could have beat him. It's a movie. If someone gave you the script, you would say, ah, that, that could never happen. But it happened in real life. And there's more yet to come. And Ganu is definitely the man of the year, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I watched the video, Eric Nixick saying the payout from coaching Tyson, sorry, coaching Francis for the Tyson fight, life-changing money in and of itself. Yeah, I um, saw that, yeah. The business side, I mean, once again, and I've said this from the beginning, not every fighter is going to be in a Francis Ngannou situation to leverage it into everything Francis did. But for sure, you got to think there are some vets who see the Francis Ngannou situation and they're just going to be aware that like, you know what? They're, the grass could be greener on the other side. And once again, what's rule number one? Secure the bag. Secure the bag. I'm not saying it was comfortable for Francis. It certainly wasn't. Yeah. That layoff in the John Jones negotiations, those didn't feel the best. Just from an outside perspective, I can only imagine what it was like for him. But for sure, you got to think for the business side, this was huge in that, you know, people are going to see that and be like, you know, I think I have a Francis Ngannou situation on my hands. And as soon as you've seen one guy do it, you raise the entire probability for other people doing it down the line. And I think that's the biggest thing uh, that Francis Ngannou did for the business. Now, uh, for PFL, just to touch on it, obviously all the moves they made, signing Jake Paul for his MMA debut, that's going to be huge late this year most likely, but it is still going to be... I will say this, it would have been bigger last year. You have to imagine by the time we roll around, it could still make noise. Obviously, Francis Ngannou's PFL debut, maybe Deontay Wilder, maybe Ferreira, Ryan Bader, someone like that. We'll see. Then the acquisition of Bellator. The PFL's number one mission is still to leap the Grand Canyon. You have to go from a brand that isn't really about, you know, live gate numbers. Put butts in the seats. Sell merch. Get more numbers to watch your broadcast and your videos. That's the Grand Canyon, but they have acquired pieces that should help toward that cause. Does that mean it's going to happen? Does that mean it's going to happen right away? We don't know. But we do know that they put themselves in a better position to do that in 2023 than they were in 2022. And that's probably the biggest thing. Francis Ngannou being the centerpiece. You have 
the reigning defending, I guess not defending anymore, but the reigning linear UFC champion, the baddest man on the planet, is now on your roster, and he hasn't taken an L in MMA. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And, and you talk about, you know, we never got the Ngannou Jones fight. That's true. But <clears throat> arguably, we got a better one because Tyson Fury, there's no way he's not a bigger combat sports star than John Jones, right? Oh, yeah. It had so much more crossover appeal than Tyson yeah. Fury. Um, As a fan, I still, it's like, I, I remember yeah, when Ngannou yeah. knocked out Stipe. We were all there and we we're yeah. like, oh, him versus John Jones. We were like, oh, that's going to be so good. It, it sucks that we didn't get it. That's how the proverbial cookie crumbles, you know, right. and we just move on and we do our thing. But, um, yeah, it's Tony and Habib. Nothing hurts more than that one. I'll say yeah, that right now. It, so. Yeah, it's because it was actually booked, right? Like so many times. So you you could taste it. That, Literally, that's... the universe hit us with a pandemic <laughs> to keep it from happening. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, that that there's no other, like, message than... It couldn't get any clearer. It no. was not meant to be, literally. Real. The, to yeah. the point where the universe had to step in because the, the earth was like, man, these guys keep booking this fight. They keep doing it. Can't have we, it. We, we got to stop. We got to step in. And they herb deemed it. So, you know. As they say, you can't have nice things. <laughs> can't have nice things. Um, upset of the year. I know we were in, uh, you know, we, we we're both in sync on this one. Sean Strickland defeating Israel Adesanya. Um, I'd like your take on it. So obviously Alexa and Valentina is very tempting. I believe Alexa yes. and Valentina by the Las Vegas odds was a quote bigger upset. Here's the thing. The first few rounds, Valentina is beating Alexa. And it's yeah. so it's like, okay, you know, upset of the year. Well, you know, like Valentina was doing what she was supposed to be doing. To me, the reason that I gave it to Sean over Alexa is that Sean came out in round one and was already winning, almost finished Israel, and then went on to continue for the next 22 minutes, essentially winning the fight with the most beautiful execution of the basics I've ever seen. He never really threw, I think, more than five punches. It was all like one-two move and, you know, Philly shell, shoulder roll. It was just a beautiful masterclass. Alexa had the drama because she got the finish grappling, which no one expected. But to me, it was the comprehensive delivery from Sean Strickland that made me give it to him over Alexa. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as great as Valentina is, Alexa from the beginning was hitting her hard with one-twos right down the middle. And and so, it, yes, Valentina was winning, but it was competitive. And Valentina went to the grappling. I'm sorry. Um, at some point she did. Because she was getting hit by those punches. Oh, that spinning back kick. Okay, that was what got what ended it. But... Alexa was even coming into it, I would say, expected to be able to land those one twos. Like, that's what we knew she could do. But with Izzy and Sean Strickland, at least from my perspective, I was expecting Izzy to be matrixing around Sean Strickland and, and it was just going to be easy work, you know, like fighting the, the, in the, a practice round in Street Fighter, right? And so the way Sean Strickland just, as you said, the most simple, basic, moves in boxing and combat sports and just was on a on a circle doing the same things over and over again small movements tiny adjustments like of all people to defeat Israel Adesanya and with that style that's that's why it was the upset of the year for me as well Sean Strickland talking all kinds of 
head nonstop, um, insulting, um, some of it, you know, offensive to not just Izzy, but others, but okay, who cares? Those are just words. But then he got in there and he didn't blow him away with some spectacular razzle dazzle. It was just down the line, slow and steady, picked him apart. And that's almost more embarrassing to defeat Izzy that way than to get when he got knocked out, you know, uh, TKO'd by Pereira. This was way worse because it's, Izzy never was able to muster up a defense, never able to muster up an answer, and just let himself get slowly beaten by Sean Strickland, of all people. So definitely upset of the year. Yeah, it was just a beautiful performance. When you look back at it, it was just um, it, it was just quite the fight to watch live and obviously changed the conversation. We're talking about Israel versus Drakus, probably one of the bigger fights we could see in MMA. Um, Sean Strickland's the one fighting Dracus Duplessis in about 18 days. So, yeah, it, it just really flipped everything on its head. You have now the King of Anarchy at the top of the middleweight division. I mean, if you told me someone who has spoken <laughs> with so much lack of political correctness being a UFC champion, I would tell you they wouldn't let it happen. And here we are. And I kind of, you know, I think everyone wants to see if the house will burn down, you know what I mean? Certainly yeah, we've gotten a lot of public comments already. For sure. And the thing is, it's like, even if you're talking all kinds of head, that's fine. Who doesn't do that? But the way he sounds doing it, like his voice, the gravel in his voice, it just makes it hilarious and more ah, unexpected, I guess is the most diplomatic way I can put it. It's just the, the whole sum of the man that he is that, that, makes me still can't believe he did what he did to Izzy and that he's a champion in the UFC. Yeah, it was just quite something. It was it was just quite the night. It was just quite the night. Safe to say. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, I think uh, the interest level, we didn't talk about it. What did you think of the fight between Sean and Drakus in the, in the crowd at 296? Oh my goodness. That was... That was... Um, it was crazy. Like, I love the that all the other fighters that were there were just like, uh, what's happening? But, you know, wh- I don't know. Did anyone ever figure out what it was that Drake has said to him? You know, I that- think he was just, I think Sean was just still mad at Drake over the comments of the presser. Okay. Honestly. And then they're right there and Drake I'm sure, probably told him, oh, you know, get ready next month. Uh, that's going to be you taking an L probably, something yeah. like that. And just the whole, the whole, uh, from top to bottom, asking Gilbert Burns' wife and kids to step over, and then he jumps like, over the so- chairs, and I'm like, oh my god. Um, uh, Cassandra Sportsnista um, on socials, she, we were talking in the back, watching that happen, and we're like, oh well, you know, we had a, the rare six-fight main card, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, and she. Get, she had the line of the night. Yeah, buy fifteen fights, get the sixteenth free. <laughs> it was. Um, I'll tell you what. It raised my interest level in the fight. I would have told you going in, they don't have a personal hook to get you in for this fight. Now they do. I'm way more interested to see it now than I was a month ago. Let's do it. So. Yeah, I mean that's true. It certainly did raise the interest in, you know, hearing Sean's reasons for why he was triggered by those comments that you know it definitely adds a soft side to 
the man. It, it you know rounds him out a little bit and makes you understand, I guess, to some degree why he is the way he is. So, you know, the story is expanding. The story is building. I can already see the package that they're going to make for when this fight, you know, happens. It's completely added more interest and drama to the um, to the fight. So, by the yeah. way, I think Drake is, you know, he he gets to start the fight ten nine. He won the fight in the. I think he crowd. did. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, uh, obviously, we'll be coming up on that in about two weeks' time to break it down on that that episode. Let's keep moving on. Submission of the year. Uh, I know you probably really like seeing this one, even if it was against Valentina. Uh, Alexa Grasso getting that finish. Go ahead and reflect on that one a bit. Yeah, man. That was. I mean, of course, shocking win. So Alexa Grasso to beat Shevchenko in, in any fashion would have been shocking. But again, she was landing those punches, so I never saw, I don't think anyone ever saw it being finished in this way. Spinning back kick, you find out, spinning back kick that uh, makes creates the opening for Grasso to jump on Shevchenko's back and finish her with that choke. The choke that, you know, she squeezed so hard it, it changed the color of half of her face, right? Everyone remembers that pink-white line. But when, when Grasso tells Joe Rogan that that's a move she's been practicing, it's like, oh man, that's that's crazy. You know, we see Shevchenko throw that thing and she sort of just does it to keep distance and never really hurts anybody. But Grasso was ready for it. She'd been practicing the pounce and she executed it perfectly. Uh, it, it was a, a shocking win, but also a beautiful win. Like I was not happy to see my favorite fighter lose, but I was happy to see Alexa Grasso beat up a killer long reigning champion because I also am a big fan of her. So, you know, bittersweet moment i'll say that the two things i think about um like if you look at let's say leon edwards knocking out kamar usman in the fifth round when you look at the fight if leon edwards is gonna win what do you think he's how do you think he's gonna do it striking yeah and he pulled it out of the hat in the fifth round and it was it is still very very epic let me make it clear if you look at valentina and alexa and you say how is alexa gonna win if she's going to striking right what about grappling? Oh, don't be silly. It's Valentina's more complete fighter. What has Alexa shown that she's at a level to outgrapple a Valentina who just thrashed Jessica Andrade on the ground? What have you seen, right? Um, and Alexa did that. I would argue had it happened in the fifth round, it would have been more epic than the Leon Edwards knockout because no one expected Alexa to do it on the ground. Right. If Leon Edwards was going to win, it was going to be on the feet. And, you know, you could talk about the whole, the the corner of Leon and all that. Alexa, she pulled it out of the hat and it was very epic. My lasting thing from it, we're talking to Alexa in the back and you could see the press conference still on YouTube and all that. And she's just got this smile and you could tell she sat down and, and you could just see in her behind the eyes, I told you I knew I could do it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, Alexa, you're the champion. And she's like, I know. Imagine that, huh? And it's like, I get it. She she knew everyone. She knew everyone was picking Valentina. And everyone said she had nothing on the ground that suggested she could beat Valentina. And she beat Valentina grappling. There's that cool clip of their practicing, closing the distance when Valentina does the back kick. Yeah. Beautiful. Just beautiful finish. Um... Very, very seminal moment. Very game-changing moment. Uh, mine was, I, I like to award d- degree of difficulty on these. You know this. Olga Rubin in Invicta, the buggy choke. 
I got to talk to her about it a couple weeks ago. Just the setup, you know, it's kind of like the Ezekiel. You kind of got to get your opponent on top of you, which yeah. is a very rare one. And then you essentially got to lock them up like a spindly spider with all your limbs. She pulls that one off. She told me I knew I had it. She knew she had it. And we both knew there was nothing she could do about it. <laughs> Watch the clip. It's on social media. It's yeah. great. Very fun. I like that one. What about you? That one's funny because, you know, I like I've never heard of a buggy choke before and I'm looking at it. I don't know what I'm seeing. I'm also I'm almost like not sure who it is that has the submission advantage here for a second. Um, it's a crazy one. Yeah, it's like a jumble of limbs and really, really impossible to tell what exactly it is that's that's doing the damage that's doing the squeezing. But very, very cool. Yeah, it was just a very fun submission. I just really enjoyed watching it. It was fun listening to Olga talk about it. So it just made for a very fun... It was just a very fun submission to watch live. And if you caught the... You know, I know Laura Sanko, some others broke it down. It's a very cool move to do. By the way, I think I need to refrain it. I believe it was... You have to be on top of your opponent in side control. But still, very cool submission. But she was kind of on the bottom... Like she's kind of underneath her. Need to watch at it. The back. End. Yeah, at yeah. The it, end, it's it was like, like you kind legs. of got to roll your opponent all freaking. Yeah. It, it look. It's not easy to do. Okay. It's, it's not, not easy. easy to do. I'll leave it at that. Yep. Um. Let me. Yeah. It's you're kind of just in a whole like mess of position. It was a mess of limbs. Yes, I was just looking at it. Like it, it's she was kind of underneath and. It was very strange. It was when your she opponent's passed. inside control, and you have to have one of the limbs to do it correctly. I think. Okay. Yeah. Let's. We'll. Uh, I'll text some jujitsu people. We'll. Get, we'll get. <laughs> we'll get clarification. This is why we talk. We don't yep, grapple. Exactly. Shit. I, bro, I'm not into all the scrapes and burns. It's like I've seen some of them, and I'm like, what's it like when you take a shower? And they're like, oh, you don't want to know. Yeah. You just. You just kind of burn, and then you add soap to it. <laughs> um. Knockout of the year. I think uh, we're on the same page on this one. Israel Adesanya against Alex Pereira. Um, I'll I'll say it again. I watch a lot of fights. I've been a fan of this a long time. I've watched a lot of things live. It's very rare anymore that I get that same kind of jump of emotion that I did back when I first was introduced to it. And I'll say it when I was just a fan and now I don't have the, you know, and I didn't have the backstage access that I do today. Watching that on TV brought me off of my couch. Everything in the moment, like the amount of emotions you process, the history, the fact that Pereira, it seems like he's got his number again and he's about to get him again for the fourth time. And suddenly Robert Whitaker's back in the mix. And Marvin Vittori is back in the mix. And where does Israel go from here? He's yeah. about to lose again to Pereira. And then, you know, three-piece in the soda. Bang, bang, bang. Right off the chin. Right off the temple. Pereira goes down and he's out. And the emotion from Adesanya. The now iconic, not just from 2023, but one of the top images ever, I think, as a photo in MMA of Adesanya doing the bow and arrows at Pereira's unconscious body. It's like, chef's kiss rarely ever gets better than that. The star power, Pereira had come into himself. Obviously, Adesanya's still a big name. It just came together beautifully. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was a, it was a rocky moment, for sure, because Izzy had already lost to him so many times. 
lost the belt to him, which unexpected, right? Okay, you lost in kickboxing, but we were figuring this is your world now. You're dominant here. And then he lost the belt, having to pull himself back up to believe in himself. Like, And he was saying it. And credit to him. I could have gone either way, right, of course, because there was that moment right before where it was going against him and we thought it was going to be all over. But he was convinced that, that the story was going to be Izzy makes history, Izzy shocks the world, and he did. And, yeah, the iconic shooting the arrows. And did he do the did he do the collapse thing next to him, The like his kid? Was that the one? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Not love- like in the same moment, but it's like now as the ref yeah, and the officials move kid. around, he did the drop. Yeah, that was cold. That was cold, but I get it. So, yeah, man, I 100%. Uh, think that is the knockout of the year. I did add a little gold star to Justin Gaethje head kick knockout over over um, Dustin Poirier. That was pretty epic. It was epic, and you know, you know how I feel about this BMF. Not really, I don't really value it in uh, in this second version. However, the knockout was awesome. You never expected Justin Gaethje to beat Dustin Poirier in that way, or even much less really beat him because I didn't think he was going to be able to you know outstrike him Dustin's just too slick so that was a shocking win but Izzy over Alex for the history the story the moment and the belt knockout of the year it just Pereira coming into his own as a star I think is also something like I don't remember him doing the whole tribal bow and arrow thing in his walkout in Madison Square Garden for example like the first time with Izzy and now, like, it's just part of his whole thing yeah. and the Easter Island heads. He's bounced back from it beautifully, by the way. Well, for yeah. being the recipient of Knockout of the Year and you win a title in the same year. I mean, give credit to that guy. But for sure, Adesanya, he won the one that mattered the most. I'll say it like that. By the way, it is cold to do that to someone's son. It's also cold to knock out his father in front of him so it's like what are we talking about people yeah also i, I bet it's you anything game. you yeah. ask that kid when he's like 18 and he gets older he'll probably tell you that was kind of that that was kind of cool to have without asanya yeah now in the moment he'll probably be like when he gets older it's like i'm so sorry i was a little brat to you that was messed up my dad i've seen i've now seen what it's like i shouldn't have done that to you in the moment though it's like oh i got one for you too it was yep. like the whole family could get it. I'm, he didn't touch the kid. I'm okay with yeah, that energy. Come on. It was cold, but I'm okay with it too. Yeah. Um. Look, obviously, you know, quite the night, and we keep moving. This one, fight of the year. I'm gonna let you go first because I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't have expected this one, although I yeah, did like I know, it too. And, you know, you know, I gotta. Every once in a while, I have a controversial pick. I don't know if this has controversy. It's like the annual it. thing for you, though. Yeah, good thing, yeah. But so far, I feel like I've been alright. Um. This one, okay, you might, I might say more round of the year, but I love it. The, the, the whole moment of Max Holloway versus Korean Zombie. And uh, hang on two seconds. Yeah, no worries. And, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. And, you know, Korean Zombie was losing that fight. So, so that's why I say probably it should be round of the year because it was just Max beating him. But he comes out, and I can't remember now, was it second or third? I think it was the third round. Um, he comes out with his hands up in the air, palms facing his himself, just ready to fall on his sword. He says to Max Holloway, let's go. And you know Max Holloway, 
has infamously done that and did it to Ricardo Lamas. And so this was an incredible moment. He comes out swinging, and Max Holloway's like, all right, let's go. And they're literally just trading punches until one lands first and hardest. So obviously Zombie gets knocked out brutally. But part of what makes this fight of the year for me is because it ended with Korean Zombie's um, retirement and that amazing moment where he's, where he's, you know, on the canvas and they play the music, Zombie, and everyone's singing, man, that had tears in my eyes. So the whole moment with the with the last round with the career i'm sort of smashing it into this i'm trying to fit this uh, square peg into a round hole for fight of the year but but that's where i put it so take that i mean my nostalgia for it is just off the charts i think that the moment for the zombie the video package after um and just like the sheer like it takes two to tango i always remember it it was very clear early on it was probably not going to be zombies night I think he knew it. I think he knew it going in. I think he knew it's like, this is most likely my last one. He starts losing and it's like, you know, it's kind of like he came to that out there in the cage that like, yeah, this is, this is it. And they just in the corner after losing, what was it? Just, I think it was in the second round, right? This one ended. He's in the corner after the first round and it's like the whole, every, he pretty much just says to the boys, let's go out with a bang. Yep. He doesn't st- he stops moving side to side. He doesn't give him any defense. He just looks at Max Holloway and says, let's, you know, like, I'm coming right at you. Max Holloway, every coach and manager out there who knows what's smart for business will say, well, don't be stupid. Freaking stick and move, you know, defense. Yeah. That ain't Max Holloway. No. We saw it that night against Ricardo Lamas. He sees what Zombie's doing and he just says, Let's do it, brother. And they just start banging. I know, man. And it's like, you know, here's the thing. Had Max Holloway gotten knocked out, he probably would have come back to tell you it wasn't a good decision, but cage fighting isn't always a good decision. Yeah. This is what we're here for. And I, you know, for life, respect Max Holloway. He's, he ob- obliged the zombie on his last night. We're going to go out the way we want to go out. Yep. And it made it so much more epic. Obviously, he connects harder. The, you know, the flex, the everything. Beautiful for Max, beautiful for Zombie. They went out the way, you know, they wanted to go out. I'll never hate on that. I thought it was awesome. It, it reminds you why you're a fan in the first place. Yeah, so. for sure, man. And then the, the glove thing. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Everything. It's like when Jack Zombie's glove on the walkout and then Holloway sent him his gloves. I mean, it's just a beautiful package, you know? Yeah, it just top to bottom. Um... I'll go with the conventional pick, as boring as it is. Uh, Islam Mahachev against Alexander Volkanovsky. One and two on the pound-for-pound pound list right now. Um, skill-wise, you know, you could argue as complete fighters, fewer guys out there. Demetrius Johnson up there, maybe. But for sure, just the skill level they displayed. Islam forced Volk to fight him at his best. Volk forced Islam to reach a gear that, quite bluntly, we haven't seen him fight in a long time. You watch Mahachev fight Dan Hooker, fight Bobby Green, fight Tiago Moises, fight Charles Oliveira, and he did not have to use as much effort as you felt him show in uh, the Volkanovsky fight. Um, It was a very great example about how far the sport has come skill-wise, 
athletically how gifted those two are. It was just an instant classic. If maybe not the carnage of years past, which I know we all love. But yeah, uh, Islam and Volk just, they, they delivered the fight of the year. Uh, the rematch, not so much, but I think you grade both of them. If you ask me what's the best version of both guys, it was the one they saw in that fight or they showed yeah. in that fight. That's that's correct. Yeah, it was a, a an excellent fight. And man, <clears throat> excuse me, I sound like Sean Strickland over here with the gravel. <laughs> if 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 Alexander in that fifth round, man, if he had just had one more minute, he just started to turn the tide. He just started to figure out exactly what to do. He he did find you know, he, you say he Islam was forced to find that you know extra gear, but I think Alexander was about to find the end of that gear and exploit it so too bad but yeah it was a great fight yeah it was just a very fun one um definitely gonna be hard to top it now we get to the last two let's start female fighter of the year ladies first we were in you know in sync once again alexa grasso um probably for the obvious reasons that you and i are about to state uh to me i want to highlight well, you know, it's something different that we haven't. When you watch her against in March, leading up to the fight with Valentina, yeah, very much. Um, I'm going to be gender correct. Kara, uh, so think Clark Kent to Superman. Kara is the you know secret identity of Supergirl as opposed oh, yes, to Superman. Yes. Of course, yeah. She was Kara. <laughs> she was the Clark Kent leading up to it. We know Alexa Grasso, very chill, not the most braggadocious fighter. When she came back in September, that was Supergirl. That was <laughs> Superman with the S on his chest, no glasses, standing up straight, full confidence. That's who Alexa was. The card built around her, had the coolest poster of the year, um, leading the show on Mexican Independence Day, last remaining, last Mexican champion standing. Yep. And Alexa was just... You know, I asked her, well, how did it feel you're going out there to score this big upset as opposed to the defending champion? And she said, kind of the same, just more focus. And it's like, man, you know, like, no, really, like, look at her just body language and everything. She owned that moment in a way that I feel like you didn't see in March. You didn't feel this great, oh, like, silent killer over there. And the, I'll, I'll leave it at this. In March, Alexa Grasso, I'm just happy to he be here. In September, Alexa Grasso, you should thank me for coming. Okay, yeah. And I'm not going to lie, she delivered on that. That was a great fight once again with Valentina. It's a draw, but she doesn't lose the belt. I think that's the most important distinction. And there you go. Yeah, man. I mean, she did something that nobody thought could be done against Shevchenko, and that's, you know, beat and neutralize essentially beat her twice and the first one was spectacular shocking win again it wasn't just a fluke it wasn't just like i got lucky because i was training this counter to her spin kick she was landing hard ass punches on her face from the beginning shevchenko didn't like it second fight shevchenko had you know more cautious effective strategy i think she was winning but she blew it in round five. She went in for a takedown at some point when she didn't need to and clearly outmatched on the ground. And I think that's why we got the draw, right? Yeah. So 
it's still though Alexa Grasso who did enough, who capitalized once again on a on a move of, of sort of a desperation move by Shevchenko. You know, when her go to doesn't work, she goes to the grappling, and just like you said, the change in the look of her eyes in her eyes, it was noticeable. It was a killer, man, and and the pressure as the, the the one who's left in Mexico with the belt around her waist, not wanting to be the, the one to lose it so that no one in Mexico has a belt, that's a lot of pressure, dude. On the, on the night that's built around Mexico, she rose above, you know, she rose to the occasion. She slayed the dragon, man. She really did. I'm very, very impressed with her. I don't know what this third fight's going to look like. I really don't. Because I sort of feel like Alexa still has room to grow, and I don't know what Shevchenko is going to do this time around. And, you know, all that being said, Alexa Grasso, she might be fighter of the year next year. I don't know. <laughs> She's really impressive. She's really impressive. I'll just say that. No, look, uh, for sure. And I think you got to give credit to Valentina. She had a great fight once again with Alexa. There's a reason it went to the limit. Um Look, it was close, and you got to respect the resume and the multiple-time Female Fighter of the Year candidate and winner in Valentina. Um, that being said, yeah, I think right now it's about the age and the timing. When you look at the two coming off an injury, you expect things to go more in favor of the younger fighter, no? And Alexa has that advantage now over Valentina, and it's only getting bigger the more time goes on. I hope the fight's on Cinco de Mayo. I think that this sets up a big year for both of the women and really everybody. When you think about who could triumph in a, after two or three fights between Alexa, Valentina, Aaron Blanchfield, Manon Fior, whoever wins both of their fights, both the defense and the eliminator, and then the following fight with the winner, that's probably a good candidate for female fighter of the year this year. I think about Zhang Wei Li, and you think about Yan Shanan and Tatiana Suarez out there, and one of those two potentially beating the other two. This is a huge year for the women, and I think it makes for just a very exciting time. Um, obviously, we're about to crown a new Bantamweight champion in about two weeks. It, it, it does make for a good time, but yeah, for sure, the one to watch right now leading into 24 is Alexa, and for good reason. She just had an amazing 24 Despite it being just, you know, two wins over the same person, style points is what carries her past Zhang Wei Li, past some of the other women on, you know, in contention. Larissa Pacheco had a great year also to defend the belt again. Chris Cyborg continued to be Chris Cyborg, but, you know, Alexa Grasso, it was her moment and she owned it. And of course, that leads us to the final category. Fighter of the year. Um, I'm not going to lie. This could have gone a couple different ways. Some people had some... You got to just give credit. Some guys had great campaigns. Sean O'Malley, Sean Strickland. But I know we're in unison again. Leon Edwards. What made you give this one to Leon? Well, it's the two victories against people that were just really tough opponents. Kamara Usman. I mean... No doubt in anyone's mind that Leon Edwards was handily losing the first fight. We always say this, his, you know, Daniel Cormier was writing his obituary. And then that shocking head kick knockout. So when you come to the second fight, 
you're expecting Usman to be able to perform in the same way, except for that last moment where he gets knocked out. But it was the complete opposite. Leon Edwards owned him from beginning to end, rounds one to five, total domination by Leon Edwards. Completely unexpected. And then he gets Colby Covington and, you know, ring rust is real. We saw it in Colby. However, Leon still stayed supremely focused against someone who had uttered some pretty hateful words. And again, they're just words, but he crossed the line. Everybody agreed he crossed the line. It would have been easy for Edwards to laugh and talk smack every time he landed a punch on Colby or did something to neutralize Colby, but he didn't, man. It would have been so easy to get carried away, to get lost in revenge. Leon Edwards stayed so composed, more composed than I've seen any other fighter do in recent history, and and that's why I picked him for fighter of the year. Two big wins, two mentally challenging circumstances, and he came out on top both times, and so unexpected from that Leon Edwards of a few years ago with the two-piece, three-piece of the soda that everyone's like, who is this guy? To be, you know, at the top with these big wins. I did have a special uh, uh, gold star for Islam because his two wins over Volkanovski, but this, these wins for Leon were way more impressive in my eyes. Yeah, the only reason I didn't give it to Islam, I thought the eight days notice nature of the rematch of Volkanovski. Yeah. Volkanovski is a great fighter. And uh, uh, you would you could still make the argument still the best technical fighter overall. Um, on short notice, though, I just felt like that was a unfair circumstances. Islam delivered like he was going to deliver. Had he done, had he gotten the win over... Volk and Charles Oliveira, as previously scheduled, I probably would have given it to Islam off the way he beat Volk in the the fight of the year. But yeah, I just think that comprehensively, when you look at what Leon did to a very prepared Colby Covington, just that was one of the most epic performances. He was just so dialed in. The mental control after everything that was said to him... Um. The Leon Edwards who beat Colby Covington felt like he could hang with the best George St. Pierre, Tyrone Woodley, all these uh, you know great welterweight champions that we've seen before. Um, he was just that dialed in and that good. And then for um, just the nature of the Usman fight, the fact that he had to really own the moment at home in London, first defending champion on UK soil since Michael Bisping, I thought he handled it well. So that's why I gave him a fighter of the year. Sean Strickland, I mean, you do yeah. what you did to Adesanya. <laughs> I think the only thing is we kind of felt like a boost Magomedov kind of fell by the wayside. And not for nothing, I think Magomedov lost his next fight. It, it kind of, that's the only thing that took the wind out of the sails on Sean getting it. I will say probably walkout of the year. I know this isn't a category, but Sean O'Malley. The music choice against Aljo, just the vibe, just everything he'd built up. I was like, you know, had he beaten one more guy this year, I would have been very tempted to give it to Sean O'Malley too. But I think the fact for the pair of fights and the way he did it, I just had to give it to Leon Edwards. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but um, it was a great year. All the guys I mentioned, 
had just very standout moments and you can't take anything from what they did you know just in that microcosm of their own weight class and what they delivered but yeah I just think comprehensively give it to Leon and that kind of sets it up Natalie I mean we got 2024 UFC 300 is on the horizon we have a ton of potential crossover events Bellator PFL um, there's the extracurriculars, the bare knuckle FC, people like Mike Perry doing their thing. I mean, what do you, I guess, what are you looking forward to in 24? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Mike Perry. Cause he's sort of silently, you know, blazing through. When did he become the guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Just collecting checks and busting faces consistently. He's probably got the best record in combat sports for 2023 because he, He's not lost, and he's probably fought more than any other fighter. He's beaten consecutively MVP Luke Rockhold and Eddie Alvarez. I mean, that's, that's kidding me? serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he should get a special, uh, you know, Combat Sports Fighter of the Year award, even though we don't have that category, but we should uh, create it now for him. <laughs> but looking forward to whenever, if ever, Conor McGregor, you know, assuming this June 29th date sticks, Looking forward to Conor McGregor. Looking forward to Francis Ngannou. <clears throat> if we're just looking at the very top, then going down, um, yeah, Grasso Shevchenko, and man, there's just so many. You know, I, I am curious uh, what Rodriguez, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. Like, you know, I know it's just announced, but like that one's really got my interest peaked. So I feel like we have a lot going on. Also curious what PFL looks like this year. That's you know, aside from UFC, that's a very interesting topic. I mean, I'm going to build it up, build up to it with Bellator and PFL. I just want to see pieces moving sooner rather than later. Like, I want to see who Chris Cyborg fights. Is it Larissa? Is it Kayla? Yeah. She is still entertaining Kayla Harrison. It's like she doesn't care what Don Davis said. She's fighting Kayla. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm kind of here for the anarchy. It's like, I want to see that. I want to see yeah. Ferreira come back. Is it against Bader? Is it against Impa? Let's go. I want to see Pinedo and the return of Patricio Pitbull. I want to see that. When his suspension is up, I want to see Usman Nurmagomedov make some noise at PFL and against a new roster. Um, I want to see all those things in Bellator and PFL. Uh, and sooner rather than later. In terms of the crossover stuff, if there's opportunities, I'm here for it. You know, we had the... The game-bred bare-knuckle and the game-bred boxing with Anthony Pettis and Roy yeah. Jones. Go collect checks, guys. I, I, yeah. I want it more, you know, you can't have too much. And if that's out there on a Friday night before a UFC on Saturday, why not enjoy it, right? I mean, it's only it only helps to have more stuff, not less, in my opinion. Especially for the veterans who still have something like Aldo and Pettis showed, right? Karate Combat is signing people. It's, it's a great time. Then for UFC, here's my biggest thing. I feel like last year we had a lot of this. Like, for example, when is Hamzat coming back? When is Connor coming back? When is Colby Covington coming back? When is, you know, all, all these guys. Is Sean O'Malley going to fight this year? When is, uh, you know what? I, I'm kind of tired of when are they coming back. I want to see the fighters active and booked again. I don't want to see as much waiting. Yeah. I want to see the big fights made again with the biggest names. Um, Hamzat and Adesanya. 
I want to see them booked in big fights again as soon as possible. I don't want to wait another year for Hamzat. I think let's make the noise happen. He's a big star. Let's see it. I want to see Sean O'Malley be active after kind of taking a better part of a year off. I want to see, you know, John Jones health, you know, withstanding. You know, I want to see him back. I want to see Tom Aspinall back sooner rather than later. I want to see Alex Pereira sooner rather than later. I just don't want to wait for the fights. I want to see the, you know, let's get this ball rolling. Let's make the fights that people want to see. I think there was something a little lost, and I get it for the schedule. We lost Israel and Drakus because they needed that event in Australia. I want to see them hold for some of those big fights. If you got to hold two months in order to have that one people really want to see, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to have this, we're waiting, like, with Conor McGregor for the right moment. I think the fans... You know, let's be everything we could be in 24 and let's make those fights. That's what I want to see. All right, amen. Let's get it. Anyway, um, look, there's no fight this Saturday. There is a fight next Saturday. We'll see when we come back and maybe another two-week break. But we'll have plenty of news to break down until then. Guys, enjoy your 2024. May it bring you what you're looking for. Remember, like, comment, subscribe, and we'll be back.